Good morning. It's good to see everyone here. I, uh, today what we're doing is we're wrapping up this message series called The Sweet Life. And I want to thank everyone for, many of you who are praying for, for me just to recover from a surgery that I had uh, about 10 days ago. And so I appreciate the prayer. I'm uh, daily feeling, you know, slightly better. I had a surgery to repair a tendon uh, up here, so in this area. So, and I wish I could tell you it was for a great reason, but I was just acting childish and uh, got hurt. So, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, I really do appreciate uh, the prayer because I have been steadily, you know, feeling better and and able to rest a little bit more. And so returned uh, last night from a, a scheduled trip to Orlando, Florida. And I was out in Orlando uh, since Wednesday. And from Wednesday to Saturday to be a part of uh, helping speak and share at a conference. To, the, the, the conference was called Rewiring the Church in America. And one of my mentors, it's actually my mentor's mentor, Harold Bullock, he led uh, the you know the far majority of the conference and spoke, and uh, he has raised up and sent out from his church about eighty church planters, and so uh, trained them, uh, sent them out as a congregation, and he is, you know, some would say as far among Baptists, among Southern Baptists, one of the most prolific, meaning fruitful uh, men as far as those who've trained and sent out people in our history as a denomination. And so God's really used uh, his ministry and his life. He's now 71 years old. And so I, I got to be a part of the conference, uh, kind of representing a, a, a granddaughter church of, of theirs. And so they planted a church called Church in the Valley Diamond Bar. And then that church sent us out, me and my wife and a small team, to, to launch Orange Crest Community Church about uh, nine years ago. And so uh, the point of me going was to kind of talk about uh, the way that we want to train up people who will train up other people and keep planting churches. But very, very few churches um, plant other churches. And so to plant that many churches that, that, that came out of Hope Church in Fort Worth, Texas, it's a pretty remarkable thing. And so uh, Pastor Harold, he's, he's a giver. Uh, there's a lot of people in ministry that are takers. And sometimes uh, you give and you give and people take from the givers and then they go and do their own thing and disconnect from, from the givers. Uh, but he really has set out to be a giver through the course of his life, and he just continues to give and give and pour out his life. At his age, it's really a, it's an inspiring thing. And so I was really wanting to be there in order to support a vision that he has had for a long time and just to help in whatever way I could. And so we were able to encourage some people in the uh, Delaware, Maryland, uh, Virginia, Florida area, people who were able to come into this conference. Uh, the Hurricane Matthew was like right there, and so it definitely disrupted the conference. A lot of people that had planned to attend didn't come because it was just not safe to travel. Some people did come still, and so um, we were actually told to go inside for like a day and a half. There was a mandatory curfew for the county that we were in because of how close the hurricane was, and they were saying if it shifts this way, then because of where we were in Orlando. So we were told... Stay indoors from 10 p.m. on Thursday night through Saturday morning at 7 a.m., which was really strange for a California crew of us that went out there, a couple of us. And so, um, but it was a great time of connecting. And, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, damage from that hurricane. There are people uh, that are trying to rebuild uh, houses and, and just things in the streets. And there's still cleanup going on. People have died uh, a lot more in Haiti 
Uh, there's like I I think the latest I read was 900 was 900 is the death toll in Haiti. I think as far as in in the U.S. it's about a dozen people so far. So so I want to pray and uh, pray for all of the folks that are really trying to help and care for people that are really struggling right now through that tragedy. So let, let's pray. God, we just lift up to you the. Uh, the, the churches and the aid uh, workers who are trying to bring help and, and uh, government officials are trying to really sort through what to do and how to rebuild. Uh, we pray for just uh, wise plans and effective plans, Lord. Uh, good just use of resources, Lord, to really help those who are most uh, affected and, and struggling through this. Lord, we, we pray for protection, God, and ask that you would, through this, uh, through the loss, Lord, that you would still work, Lord. Uh, through the wreckage, Lord, would you still uh, work and, and and bring the help that you, you can bring, Lord, and the strength that you can bring? Would you turn hearts to you, Lord? Pray for those that are just uh, grieving, Lord, over loss of loved ones. I pray that you would uh, bring healing over time, Lord, and you'd bring comfort right now, Lord. We ask for your help, God, for the many, many people affected by this. And we, we just uh, recognize, God, that, uh, you know, when tragedy strikes, Lord, it... it we want to know you. We want others to know you, Lord, for the hope that you bring, for the way that you do help us here and now. And so, pray that you'd speak right now. Guide us, Lord, as we as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, throughout this uh, series, we've been looking at what what is the key, if there is one, what are the keys to the sweet life? And it's difficult to really address the sweet life without including the topic of, of money. Because so much of our life is connected to what's happening in, in regards to our money, in regards to our pocketbook or our bank account. Just think about this. Think about the last time you had more money than you knew what to do with. Think about it. When was the last time? So, you know, a lot of laughter here, okay? Maybe you hoped someday you'll have that problem, you know? I'd like to have that problem, you're thinking. When was the last time I had more money than I knew what to do with? One king, Solomon, he made this observation. Look at this observation from Ecclesiastes 10.19. He's looking at the extravagance of, of some leaders and rulers and then their children, you know, princes, princesses, the way that they live their lives. And, and as he interacted with them, he described their thinking, their mindset in this way. This is what he says that they would say, that, they, that these rich, extravagant rulers and their kids would say, bread is made for laughter, wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. He said, that's, that's kind of the word on the street among, among the rich folk. You know, those who rule, those who really got the money. This is the way they think. That money answers everything. They think that money can meet all of life's demands. And that's pretty much the pervasive message of American culture, is that money is the answer for everything. And if we're honest, maybe we've also believed that at one point or another in our lives. And we, we may, you know, not think that we need to be filthy rich, but we certainly hope that we could have a little bit more than we currently, you know, have. We don't need to be filthy rich. We just need a little bit more than what we've currently got in the bank. And with money, what we try to do is we try to avoid the extremes. If you think about it, we try to avoid the extremes. And if you're trying to walk with God, you probably try to navigate somewhere between the middle of, of obsession and greed and poverty and extreme need. You, you want to be living life somewhere in the middle of that. I, I don't, and there's a verse in Proverbs that talks about a prayer where you pray for this. You know, I, I don't want to be, 
too rich that I wouldn't have any need for God. I don't want to be too poor that I would start stealing in order to, to get by. But we want to be somewhere in the middle, it seems like. And now some people are, are far over in the extreme when it comes to obsession over money. Now take a look. I mean, this is obsession right here, you know. You know, right on the hand. Ouch. Painful. You know, here's another one. You know, on the back of the arm. Probably even more painful, you know. You know, and now these people are serious about money, aren't they? You know, some people, they'll tattoo uh, across their chests, you know. You know, dollar bills on their eyelids. You know, there's just, there's things that, they, that people will do. They're serious about money. And, and no matter where you're coming from, we all face some degree of a mirage in this regard. The money mirage. A mirage is an illusion without substance or reality. So, for example, here's a picture of a mirage. Okay, it appears in this picture that there's water out there, but there isn't. That's just a mirage. This is not real. Now, this is the money mirage. Okay, the money mirage is this. More money equals an easier and better life. That, that's the mirage that we think is out there. If I just had a little bit more money, I mean, it would really bring everything together. Just like Solomon said that the rich rulers and their children believe that money is the answer for everything. That's the mirage. It, every problem in my life can be resolved if I just had a little bit more money. But, and the reality is, some of you, you've experienced some deep, deep hurts. And you know that money is impossible to fix those hurts from the past. There's just no way that a check... Any amount of money could, could really fix or change the hurt you've experienced. But still the thought can creep into our future. That money, you know, money is really what I need, just a little bit more. Th- this is the illusion. It seems like money is really the answer. When unexpected bills come in, we think, man, if I just had a little bit more. When I reach the middle of the month and all the money or most of the money is gone, if I just had a little bit more. Or when I see other people in their lives and I start comparing my life to their life and I think it sure would be nice to experience life like that. You know, that's the money mirage. I get caught up in. We get caught up in. Here's what the Bible says. Here's the Bible's take on this. And this is at the top of your listening guide if you'd like to follow along in this insert that you see in your program. Money is not the magic key to the sweet life. Money is not the magic key to the sweet life. This is what the Bible states. Now here's another verse from Solomon. Same guy, a wealthy king... But this time, he's giving his conclusion about money. Look at Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. He says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Now, this word love here is is a unique word. It's different from some of the New Testament words for love. This is an Old Testament word, a Hebrew word. And this word has to do with love and even affection. Okay? Like love and like. Like, you love people because you have to love them. You don't always like to love them. You know, so this is where you, there's some affection behind, there's some emotion behind this type of love in the scripture. So he says, when there's this kind of emotional tie to money, you know, this, this word in Hebrew for money is the word silver. And silver was a, the coin that would be used to trade for goods and services. And so when there's, when there's love or affection for silver, it's just, you can't satisfy that. Same with your, your, your wealth. You know, your current wealth, your income, it just never seems like it's enough. This is a meaningless pursuit, Solomon says, to believe that money is going to solve all of our problems. And Solomon, 
he, he's basically saying about money, this is an obsession that stirs us up but never lets up. If you let it get to the obsessive point, if you start loving it, it'll stir up your heart but it'll never let up. You can't satisfy that. And a lot of times, we don't know why we can't seem to be content with our situation in life. And the issue, for some, is obsession. We, we obsess over this. And here in America, we, we really do obsess over money. We, we have laws that protect our money. If someone robs your house, they break in, you know, and you're not there, you come home, you find that there's a burglary, you've, you've lost some very precious things, maybe some... Uh, things you can't replace. Maybe some jewelry. Maybe some money gets taken. The police, you call the police, they'll come to your house, they'll investigate, they'll look around, they may dust for fingerprints. I don't know if they'd actually do that, but they'll write up a report. And if they catch the burglar, you, you have the law on your side. And it's because our money is protected in our American culture, isn't it? It's, it's protected. It has a high value. So it's, it's yours. You deserve to have that type of protection. But if someone steals your wife, someone steals your wife, steals her heart, try calling the police. Hey, someone stole my wife. Excuse me? Can you come down? I want to talk. I need to talk to you about this. Someone has committed a crime here. Someone stole my wife, stole her heart. We've been married for a long time. You know, sir, I'm sorry, but there's no crime here. Now, I was thinking about that last couple of days, how twisted our society is. That money, money apparently holds a much higher value than marriage in our culture, for sure. I mean, the laws protect money. The laws don't protect your marriage in that way. Now, money itself is not the problem. I don't want money to be made out to be the bad guy in our church or in this service. Money is not the bad guy. Okay, That's not the problem. In fact, money can be a tremendous tool for good. But whenever money is, is coming into our lives, whenever you get more money in your life, there are some extremely important issues. There are larger issues at stake. So I want to introduce you to Paul's uh, description of this whole area of dealing with a love for money out of 1 Timothy chapter 6. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time that we have. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul was a first century church planter. He, he planted churches. He instructed uh, Timothy uh, on these larger issues. Paul had mentored a man named Timothy for about 15 years up to this point. He, he was training him, teaching Timothy. And Timothy would often travel and troubleshoot problems in some of the churches that Paul and his missionary teams would help start. And so, Timothy is this guy who would serve as like a pastoral leader or a leader to the pastors or sometimes the pastor of these different towns and the churches that were there. There wasn't as many churches like we have in America. So there weren't, you know, 150 churches in Riverside. You know, there, there was this one church in Corinth, there's a church in Thessalonica, there's a church in Philippi, there's a church in Ephesus. So, so Timothy, he played a key role in all those churches. And he's now serving in Ephesus. And one of the issues that Timothy was experiencing at this point was the rise of false leaders in the church. False teachers in the church. People who were teaching uh, things that were not true to the acceptable standard. And so false teachers in Ephesus, what they were doing was they were, they were skewing people's perspective on money. 
False teachers, they taught errors about Christ. They taught errors about core doctrine. They confused people. Uh, these are people who said, oh, you know, here's, here's something else. And they would add to what was the acceptable standard that was being taught by the church. They would add new things. They would twist things and change things. And their motivation was pride. It was greed. Uh, when someone came along and their teaching was contradictory to the sound pattern of teaching, sadly what, was hap- what would happen is people would follow them. They would gain a following. Oh, that's different. I'd never heard that before. And so people would start thinking, oh, maybe that's, maybe that's true. And so they would gain a following. And as they gained a following, usually what that meant is they, they brought the resources of those who followed them along. So you gain a following, you gain resources. So the motivation for a lot of these false teachers was the money they would now flow into their lives. And so Paul was warning against these false teachers and their impact. And so I want to look at 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 5, before we look at the passage that you see in your listening guide. Look at the, the context here. This will help us get acquainted with the passage and then really see the problems that start cropping up. 1 Timothy 6, verse 3 says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, verse 4 says, He's puffed up with conceit. Okay, that word there, it means, in Greek, it means to puff up like a cloud of smoke. Okay, puff up like a cloud of smoke. It'd be like, we would say, man, you're full of it. You're full of hot air. That's, that's kind of like what this word means. Okay, he's conceited. He's puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. Literally, that means word babbles. Quarrels about words. There's this word babbling that was going on in the church, which produces envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction. This whole group of of false teachers was producing disunity. And it says, among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now, that's their motive. They're trying to call what they're doing godly, but the motive behind it is that they would gain. They want to profit off of uh, their leadership. And so that's the context of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul, what he's trying to do is in these next set of verses, Paul is trying to straighten out the damage that these false teachers were causing in regards to people's thinking on money. Because they were, they were spreading things like, you, you want to really gain? Here's some, here's some truth. And so they were spreading things that was twisting up people's minds about money. So he sets the record straight on money. And let's walk through it. More money, I want to break this down. More money is of far less value than spiritual increase, Paul says. It, it's, it's of far less value. Having more money <clears throat> is of far less value than spiritual increase. Look at verse 6. 1 Timothy 6, 6 reads, But godliness with contentment, that's great gain. Godliness with contentment. Contentment means to be satisfied, to be sufficient with what you have. Godliness means like being like God, likeness to God. And so Paul, he's saying, if the, you live a life devoted to God and you're satisfied in what he has brought in your life that brings the greatest gains into your life a life that's devoted to God satisfied in him and in what he brings that brings the greatest gain that's the sweetness of life there's a richness there's a fullness that we cannot experience any other way than if our spiritual life is on track We, we need our spiritual life we need godliness if we're going to experience a sweet life. When God is first place and when nothing else is really competing with that, with his position of leadership in our life, we're, we, we're full, we're satisfied. So keeping him first keeps us from obsessing over more money. Now what if, what if we were to take this verse, godliness with contentment is great gain, and we were to apply that 
the next two to three months? Or even just this month? And what if you were to apply it this way? What if all of us were to hire a money manager who we give them all of our bills, we give them our paycheck, we give them our bank account number, we give them our checkbook, we give them our debit cards, our credit cards, we, we automate our giving, so that's taken care of. We give them our grocery list, we tell them, here's the things that our family likes to eat, and, and we, we say, hey, I want you to block my ability. We give them our phone and our, and our, and our internet access, so we cannot spend any money our, on our own. We have to, everything has to flow through this money manager, let's say. And, you know, and we don't watch the stock market. We don't see our retirement. We, we, we refuse to go. We let him go to the, to the mailbox and, and look at how things are going for our retirement, our investments. We, don't, we refuse to receive the ads for a few months. We stop looking for deals. What if just for one month or even three months we were devoted to godliness with contentment? And we just said, you know what? I'm going to focus on... God says this is the greatest gain. I'm going to focus on godliness with contentment. I'm just going to aim to focus on my spiritual life. I'm going to get more time with God, less time thinking about money and what I don't have or how I'm going to pay for what I'm owing, you know. Can you imagine the difference that that would make? Do you want to experience that kind of gain? Some of us, you know, we twist it up over money, don't we? It's consuming. It can be all-consuming. Godliness with contentment, he says, is great gain. Now, here's something else to note regarding more money. Secondly, it is, it's short-sighted without the right plan and perspective. This is the second point. Verse 7 and 8. It's short-sighted without the right plan and perspective. I mean, short-sighted meaning we're looking too much about today. We're looking at the here and now. We're not thinking about the long term. Verses 7 and 8, Paul writes this. He says, For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. We don't have the power. That word for cannot is the word for dynamite. It's the, it's the power word. It's the, we're not able to take anything out of the world. We cannot carry anything past this life. He says in verse 8, But if we have food and we have clothing with these, we will be content. What a bold statement. But that's the truth. You and I, we arrive on this planet the same way we depart. Job one twenty one says, Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. You know, you, you, you arrive with nothing, and you, you, we leave with nothing. We, we cannot take anything with us. And so it's short-sighted to obsess over pursuing what is locked in time and space. Our, our possessions, all of our money is locked in time and space. You and I, we cannot take any of it. It's locked up here. All of it is just stuck. Therefore, Paul writes, verse 8, But if we have food, if we have clothing... With these, we will be content. Now, he set the pace on this, Paul did. He set the pace on living a content life. But the basic necessities are truly what we all really need. And and the the reality is God provides these for us. So, he's given us what we need. He's given us what we need to be satisfied, to be full. Now, the more you and I have in our lives, in our bank, or in our houses, the more complex our lives become. Just think about all of the extra demands that your purchases and, and our purchases just make. Every time you buy something new, now there's a new set of demands on your life. Because now you've got you to fix it, you've got to change it, you've got to repair it, you've got to maintain it. You've got to check in on it. It's, it's, you know, it's fun to buy things, but then there's an added you know, cost and it, as it pesters us, as we have to care for those things. Houses require maintaining, cars, toys, investments, all these things. They just quickly can become obsessions that require time devotion. And so, these aren't necessarily bad. 
We're going to get to some more of that, but they, they may rob you of your contentment. So Paul, he's not condemning possessions here, but he's condemning a self-indulgent desire for more. Because that can't be satisfied. He's saying this this is a meaningless, empty pit. It's too short-sighted. Now, side note. Paul says we cannot take anything. If you look at the passage, you can't take anything, right? But he doesn't say we cannot take anyone. And I, I think this has always stuck with me for at least, you know, 15 years now. But this is something critical that, that we can do as far as eternity. We, we can't take anything with us, but we can take people with us. In fact, the very best use of your money, of my money, of our possessions, our resources, is when we use them to help other people come to know Jesus Christ. That's the very best use of your money. You know, if you're already a Christ follower, when you spend it on yourself, when I spend my money on myself, I, mean, I, you know, I can't take it with me. When I spend it on other people, in order to help them come to know Christ, in order to host people, in order to love people, care, serve, give. We make an investment in people, and they're eternal. People will live forever, somewhere. And so, in our efforts to grow and advance God's kingdom, we can really be used by God to take people with us into eternity. Imagine, imagine for a moment, entering heaven. You... you you close your eyes here, you open your eyes, and you're in heaven. And imagine being greeted in heaven by those that you invested your resources, your dollars in, your time and energy in, here and now, on this, on this earth. Imagine seeing old co-workers, old, old friends, family members that you personally shared with, loved, used your resources to help come to know Jesus Christ. Imagine being greeted by them as you enter into eternity. Many of you are going to have that experience. And as you, as you open up your hands, as you open up your life, your time, your resources, we can take people with us. Let's, let's continue on. More money, here's a strong warning, has some dangerous pathways. Has some dangerous pathways. 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10. It says, but those who desire... Sorry, I'll back up. Give you a moment to write that down. Has some dangerous pathways. Okay. Verses 9 and 10 say this, but those who desire to be rich... This is when the love of money is there. Those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare. A snare is the word in the Greek used for a, a trap that quickly reacts to grab an animal. Okay? Like that kind of a snare. They fall into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge, like drag to the bottom people into ruin and into destruction. Verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. What's a pang? It's a feeling of pain, basically. Physical pain, mental pain. People have been really damaged. What he's saying here is these, all of these different terms paint a picture of devastation that the love of money can bring. It can literally destroy. Great godly people who lived a godly life for decade after decade after decade if they, if they don't get a grip on this, they cannot withstand the strong temptation that accompanies the love of money and can destroy some people. People can wander off. Paul saw that. Paul, Paul spoke later of a man who wandered off because the world was, was just a little too important. And his heart, his heart chased the world and stopped keeping Christ first. 
Look, look ahead, verse 17. We're going to move ahead in verse 17. There's a section break there. He, he begins to address a different section. So move to uh, verse 17, and you're going to see he brings money back up. More money can lead to an inflated view of myself. When I get more money, I can start thinking really highly of myself. An inflated view of myself. 1 Timothy 6, 17a says, As for the rich... Now, this is interesting. As for the rich in this present age, now compared to the most, you know, most of the world, we're pretty much all rich, okay? Being in America, living in this country, some of you are from different countries, you were born in different countries, and you know the reality of this passage, right? That if you're in America, for the most part, probably everyone in, in this room is rich in this present age. With all the financial opportunity that God has given us, you know, as Americans, as people with jobs, as we have this huge responsibility. So Paul tells us, here's the responsibility. As for the rich in this present age, he says, charge them not to be haughty. Haughty is, you're conceited and you're looking down on others. You look down on others. And so he says, this is the danger of being in the position that I'd say we're probably all in, is that you can grow haughty, prideful. You can have an inflated view of yourself. And he says, here's what happens to the haughty. In order to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. When money comes in, the temptation is to really put hope in it. Put hope in the bank account balance. Put hope in the real estate market. Put hope in the in the salary or our future paychecks. That, oh, it's going to be there in, in two weeks. I'll get another paycheck. Put hope in our retirement plan. We can start leaning on this, what we think is this solid structure that ain't going anywhere. It's like leaning on a brick building. We think that, that, that our money plan and our money is somehow going to hold us up. But as many of the older folks in this room can attest to, riches are uncertain. That's what the verse says. Riches, they are uncertain. From one day to the next, the stock markets can take a nosedive. And all of your plans, everything you had hoped for and built could be gone. You could get injured. You can get sick. Someone that you love could get sick and injured. And, and everything you had planned to go towards this is now have to be redirected to that. The real estate market could collapse again. It did not long ago. So here's a question to consider. Where do I turn when the unexpected expenses come up? Where do I turn? Do I, do I turn to God? Do I bring unexpected issues to God in prayer and say, God, I need you to come through right now? I did not expect this thing to break. I did not expect this sickness. I didn't expect this. This came out of left field, God. Or, or do you first run to the checkbook? Run to the checking account. Well, let's see. Oh, we covered it. We planned. Now, what I'm not saying is don't plan. Emergency plans are great. It's wise. It's wise stewardship to plan for things to break. You need to do that. But if you're counting on your emergency fund rather than hoping in God then I can almost guarantee your fund will not be enough. If God sees that your fund is your shelter, it'll be, more than likely, it'll cost just a little bit more. Because God, he, he wants you to trust Him with your entire life. Don't allow your emergency fund to be a substitute for trusting God. You need to have one. That's wise. But don't make that your shelter. Don't live and depend on that like you need to with God. Some of you are students. And you might be thinking, man, this doesn't really apply to me. So you might be sleeping right now. <laughs> or you might be thinking, eh, I've got, I, I, you know, I don't have to worry about this yet. But the reality is, if you're a student, you need to build convictions and choose contentment now before money 
before more money starts flowing into your life. If you don't build the convictions now, before the, the real money starts flowing into your life, you're going to spend your life chasing the mighty dollar. Whether it's the next job that promises a little more or, or just not being content as these passages. Haughty people think that they deserve more. So you might graduate college and think, man, I'm worth this. Now, I'm not going to take that job. That's, I'm worth more than that. I, I worked harder. My degree, it, it should be bringing this kind of a salary. And I'm only getting that now. I'm going I'm to wait. That, that's a haughty perspective. You look around, wow, they're making more than me. How'd they get that job offered to them? I, I'm a much better student than they are. I know how they did in class. I saw them sleeping in class. Why'd they get that? Don't get caught up in that. We've had some people in our church who have forfeited jobs at much greater pay in order to stay connected and invested personally in what God was doing here through them and along with our team as a church family. Some people, they wasn't, they, the offers were not enough to draw them away from what they were investing here with people. Because it's real people. We've had, we've had people turn down higher positions, much higher positions in pay, because it would have prevented them from being involved in small group life. You've had some people say, you know what, I can't, I'm not going to become a manager because I've been asked to lead in a small group and I'm just not willing to do that. I'm not willing to make that value shift and say that money, more money is more important than serving the kingdom. And you might think, man, that is crazy. Just go join a bigger church with more options. There's millions of them. There's, or at least in our area, there's thousands, you know. There's, there's bigger churches. There's churches with more options that fit your schedule, that fit your lifestyle. The problem is, is that is 21st century thinking. Which is where I put me before we. That's haughty thinking. And when I, when I need God and the church to build around my life and my plan, that's 21st century thinking. In the early church, where there was one church in a city, that would have been a lot more difficult to pull that off. If church happens at Wednesday or on, you know, on, on Sunday at 3 o'clock, cause that's where there was a house that was available to have church. And that's when it needed to happen. See, we're on mission together, and so we make progress together as a team. I'm not saying... So don't hear me saying, oh, he, he doesn't think we should advance or aim to find better jobs or relocate. That's, that's really not the issue I'm bringing up. What I'm bringing up is... If growing and advancing comes at the cost of participating on the front lines of real ministry, and if you're already engaged in seeing real eternal efforts, you know, what's the, what's the point of, of scanning the horizon for more? This is a, this is a question that you're going to have to wrestle with. Another thing, more money. Let's continue. Verse 17b. More money may allow for new enjoyment. Now, this is the flip side. More money comes in. The, the passage begins to shift here. There's some positive that Paul begins to bring. Verse 17, again, As for the rich, in this present age, he says, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Now, here's, here's the kicker. Here's where we should put our hope. But on God. Charge the rich, let's charge us, basically, to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God, He is not stingy. He is richly providing us with all things to enjoy. Think of all the earthly possessions that you enjoy. That's, that's from God. Think of the skills that God gave you to work with. That's from God. Think of your strength, your energy. That's from God. God provides. You don't need to feel guilty when you enjoy what God has provided through your income. 
You don't need to feel guilty when you know you spend money on something that you enjoy. There are certainly limits on this issue. But thank God the next time you receive your paycheck because God provided that to you. Thank God the next time you sit down and enjoy a good meal with your family because God, He continues to provide for us. It's, it's really, you know, it's okay to make purchases. It's okay if you like good food or if you like to go on a vacation, go on a cruise or buy a TV, a new TV, you know. Jot down this verse, Ecclesiastes 5, verses 18 through 20. And check, check that verse out later. God, God, He gives us permission to enjoy what money can buy. You don't have to feel guilty about it. But the next verse provides the balance on this enjoyment factor. Look at the next two verses. More money boosts extra giving. It, it provides a responsibility and an opportunity. It can boost extra giving, providing help to the church and to others. Look at verses 18 and 19. Okay? Boost extra giving helps to provide. Okay? Again, speaking to the rich, Paul says this, they are to do good. Okay, this is what they're to do with their resources. They're to do good. They're to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Sometimes extra giving comes in to our church at just the right time when we need it as a congregation. Whether it helps us to seize an opportunity that God has put on our, on our heart as a, as a leadership team or as a congregation, or is to provide for just a clear need. Something breaks and we need to pay a bill. And we're like, hey, where's that going to come from? We've been at points in the life of our church where we've run very close to the red. We're not like a business in that, you know, a business, they take in resources and they save it all up, or it goes to shareholders. It's very different. And so there's been points where we've run very, very close to the red, or we've been running in the red, and we're just trusting God to keep us in the black from week to week. And there's points when things have have broken, and and I'll say, hey, staff, it's code orange. You know, code red is like, it's really bad. Green is, we're in decent shape. Code orange is like, we're almost red. You know, so I'll let the staff know, we're in code orange. And they know, okay, like we need to really, really scrutinize the decisions that are being made financially, the purchases that are being made. There's still points where that happens. When we were first starting out, we, we seemed to be in code red most of the time. It, it was, I mean, it was constant. I would be getting phone calls from our financial uh, treasurer, like, it's just not looking good right now. We're about to get laughed by next month's bills, and we're still, you know, way behind on this month's bills. And so, God, how are you going to do this? What are you going And so, you know, we... As a church, we pay facility, we pay bills, you know, for this place. We pay, we pay bills for our office space and the warehouse that we use, it, where our office is. We, 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 you know, employ nine staff members, four of them full-time, that are full-time on staff here, five that are part-time. We, we give to missions. We, we give to missionaries. We have operational costs for doing what we do on Sundays. The outflow is pretty much static monthly. Like, what goes out is pretty static monthly because we have a budget we operate from a budget but but what comes in it can vary from month to month <laughs> it can kind of do this and so when we run close to the red and we call for code orange what we do is we pray god would you bring in what we need this week would you bring in what we need we'll trust you with that and there have been many times when we've been in code orange and some someone gives because more money came into their life they 
We've had people give off the sale of a house. We've had people give a tithe off of that. We've had people give the tithe off of a profit from business, a bonus. And, and sometimes it comes in and it's like, we don't know where, but we're, we're, we're down 10 grand and someone gives something significant that meets the need that, that we have. And we think, once again, he came through. So we've begun to really, we, we've tried to stop worrying about it and we just try to let the reflex drive us to pray. But when the extra resources come into your life, sometimes it's clear that God wants you to say, hey, this, you know, God, is this, is this something you, you are funneling towards me to direct that to do something good with it? More than likely, he wants more money to cause us to look around at the needs around us, whether it's a person in need, a person in our life, the church and helping move things forward. Here's, here's the truth. It is true that generosity is one of the keys to sweetness in life. Generosity is one of the keys to sweetness in life. That's why, again, that's why he wrote verse 19. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This seems totally upside down, but it's true. It seems totally upside down, but it's so true. Handling money is a spiritual issue. It's spiritual. That's just as spiritual as, as worship if you handle money as a steward. You know, it's an act of worship to interact with the resources that God has entrusted to you. When money has your heart, if money has your heart, then it can jerk your chain all day long. And when God has your heart and Jesus is the boss of your life, we open up our hands and we just say, God, here's the resources that you've entrusted and I'm offering them back to you to accomplish whatever work you want to do through me. Jim Elliott, I have a quote from Jim Elliott. Here's the quote. Jim Elliott, who's one of five missionaries who gave up their lives reaching out to, in the, in the jungle, reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ to an unreached people group in Ecuador. And throughout his life, he kept a journal detailing his thoughts on God and obedience and sacrifice. And here's one of those quotes from his journal. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He was only 28 years old when he died. But he lived an open-handed life. His life was taken as these uh, people that he was trying to reach didn't understand why these foreigners were there. And they were trying to make contact. They were leaving gifts there for these people in the jungle. People were taking the gifts. They thought, good, we're building rapport. And they lay land again uh, on their airstrip. And, and they are ambushed by the tribe. And these five men are killed. And their wives are left behind with their kids. 28 years old when he died. But he lived an open-handed life. So our time, our money, our very lives, they all belong to God if He is Lord. If Jesus is Lord, then what that means is you surrender your life over to Him. And we basically say, God, I'm yours. Would you use me? So may we be people who God looks upon and declares that, hey, they took hold of that which is truly life. Again, this is the verse, verse 19. That would be what we want, that we would be people like this. That God would look and say, this is a group of people who took hold of that which is truly life. As we wrap up, I want you to consider just what, what steps could I take to apply this message this morning. And there's three I want to bring up here. Memorizing 1 Timothy 6.17, probably the most key of those verses is that one because it's the perspective that we have.
for ourselves. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Great verse to just keep a perspective on where to put our hope as more money comes in and what God would want us to do with that. Second is we're launching a new series next week. Bruce, our associate pastor, one of our associate pastors, he's going to be launching this message series called Hometowns. And it's going to be talking about the importance of, of community and why we do life together and how critical that really is. And I'm excited uh, as we launch into that. And then also attend, if, if this has stirred you, like this money, realizing money is a spiritual issue and you realize, I, I need to do some work. We as a family or we as an individual need to do some work on money. Uh, we have this Getting Traction With Your Money seminar this Friday. And so we want to invite you to come to that. Mark that on your connection card so that we would know to you know make sure we have enough prepped for the the crowd that's going to be there and so it's going to be at our office um, which is not far from here so all the details are in the bulletin let's pray together father thank you again for this time thank you for your kindness thank you for your love and lord thank you for the way you have uh, taken care of us you've given what we need you've provided in in very real ways god help us to see the purposes behind money This is a tool, Lord, that can be used for tremendous good. So, Lord, help us to just, if there's any repentance or confession that needs to go on in our own lives, Lord, I pray you'd stir us, Lord, to do business with you in regards to the money you've entrusted to us, Lord. Stretch us and challenge us, Lord, in the years of our life to become more and more a generous group of people who takes hold of the life that you say is the sweet life, Lord. We ask you to bless this group as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks, Josh. Before we wrap up the service, we want to, like we always do, continue in worship through giving. Um, before we pass around the offering baskets, I want to ask you to pull out that connection card and finish any information on there that you hadn't got to yet. Uh, again, this is our way to, to know what's going on in your life, to stay connected, and, and for us to help you get involved if there are events or different things that you indicate on that. In just a moment, uh, you can drop that in the offering basket. And if you came prepared to give, uh, you can use that giving envelope. There's other ways to give as well, online or uh, through your bank bill pay, bill pay text giving. Um, so the options are there. Ushers, you may receive this morning's offerings and tithes. And as they pass the baskets, I want to highlight uh, to you all uh, an opportunity that our church has to send a small team to to Germany, actually. So I think there's another photo of the Germany team. Um, So actually, Josh and Erica, would you guys come just stand right up here? And Cody... You can continue picking. That's nice. <laughs> but uh, come on up here, guys. The, these three are heading with a team um, on this photo you can see from Texas to Germany. They're actually leaving this week, this Friday, uh, no, October 14th through the 23rd. So it's 10 days that they're going. Josh is leading the team with his wife, Erica. And so we want to make you aware that they're going. And briefly, what I'll, I'll mention what they're doing, but mostly so that you can be praying while they're gone. We, pray for them, for their family. Families, uh, kids that are back home, and Cody's wife is back home as well. So uh, they're going to be connecting with a, a student ministry in Bonn, Germany, B-O-N-N, 
uh, that is just working with college students, bringing the gospel to them. And if you look in the history of the world and church history, Germany was really instrumental in, in going, growing God's kingdom. But today, sadly, there's only about 3% of people in Germany have a personal relationship with, with Jesus Christ. So this is a very needed ministry in, in, in an important place to bring the gospel and, and light to. So I want to uh, mention that to everybody so that you guys would pray. We're going to pray now and send them off. Uh, they're leaving this Friday. So join me in prayer. God, we thank you for this chance that, uh, that we have as a church to send some uh, to Germany this coming week. And I pray, God, that you would, as Josh and Erica lead the team, that you would bring a unity on the team, God, that they would be effective because they are united uh, just with one spirit, God, focused on you. Would you uh, give them health while they're away, continue to heal Josh as he leads uh, in a sling and just recovering from surgery. Would you heal his body? And for the team, keep them healthy and, and give them safe travel. And God, uh, more than, than anything else, we pray that they would have impact in Germany for the sake of, of your kingdom, that they would have um, just interactions with people that you have just arranged to happen, people who are ready to hear the good news of Jesus. And we pray that we would help build up the ministry that is ongoing there, that Connection Student Ministry. So be with their leaders as they prepare this week for our, our team to arrive. And we just pray your blessing over them this morning as we send them out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, thank you guys. You can be seated. Um, we want to just highlight, lastly, uh, that if you're our guest today, we want to meet you and give you that coffee mug. So join us right after service in the back. And we want to say hello. Now, let's stand and we'll close with a song. you guys as you go about your week. Have a great day. See you next time.
song today. Community Church, good to see you all here. Wanted to give you a quick five-minute warning. We're going to get started pretty quick in service, so if you would grab a cup of coffee, you can make your way into the worship center, and we'll see you in just a few minutes. I will do my best, but I don't know what
Watching for all your signs If I may be so bold to ask you Would you lend your ear to me? Good morning, OCC. Good to have you guys here. Thank you for joining us today. I encourage you guys to sing along as we begin our service, welcoming our Lord here this morning. Would you stand with us?
Found in you. 
receive our adoration. Receive our adoration. Jesus, Lamb of God. Receive our adoration. How wonderful you are. We choose to leave it all behind. We choose to leave this all behind and turn our eyes towards the prize. The upward call of God in Christ. You have our hearts, Lord. Take our lives. Receive our adoration. Receive our adoration. Jesus, Lamb of God. Receive our adoration. How wonderful you are. Every soul you've saved sings out. And every soul you've saved sings out. Everything you've made resounds. And all creation standing now. We're lifting up your name. And we're caught up. Caught up in the angel's song, we're gathered to your ancient throne. Children in our Father's arms, we're shouting out your praise. Receive our adoration, receive our adoration. Jesus, Lamb of God, receive our adoration, how wonderful you are, how wonderful, how wonderful you are. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we sing to you this morning in adoration. God, we adore you. Lord, we're grateful for the things that you're doing in our lives right now. God, that even in the present that you've met us here. Thank you for your presence, Lord, and for the fact that you are ready and willing to speak to us. Pray that you give us the ability to set our hearts on you this morning as we open up your word, God. Again, would you help us to prefer your ways when we see life through your eyes, when we see our own lives, God, through your eyes and through the truth of your scripture. Would you continue to draw us, Lord, towards the life that is truly sweet, God, as we surrender to you. We thank you so much for your presence here and for what you plan to do in our time. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, welcome to Orange Crest Community Church. We are really glad that you're here with us this morning. Thanks for coming. My name is John, and I'm one of the pastors here at OCC. And uh, we're in the final week of our message series called The Sweet Life. So if, you're, if this is your first week with us, that's okay. Uh, we'll start a new series next week. But we're, uh, this has been a great series looking at what is the sweet life? How does our culture define it? But what does God say about it? And how do we get it? So it's been a great series. I'm excited for this 
last message as well. If this is your first time joining us, again, thanks for coming. We're glad you're here. I would love to meet you. Just say hi, uh, introduce myself. Uh, we have a gift for you for being our guest. It's this coffee mug. There's a little bit of candy in it, and we're happy to give that to you right after service. So head towards the back right for your mug, and we just want to say hi to you. I'll be in the back with some others from the church staff. Um, everyone should have received the, a program on your way in. Would you guys get that out? And there's a connection card inside. We would love to know that you are here uh, and to help you connect in different ways. There's a lot of information on that card you could leave with us. And we'd love to know uh, what's going on in your life and how we can help you get connected. And if this is your first visit with us, if you would just leave your name and maybe your email or whatever you feel comfortable leaving. But that would be great uh, to know you were here. At the end of service, you can drop it in the offering basket as it comes around. All right, we have a few announcements. And I'll just preface this. There's a, there's a lot going on, so refer to your program for some details. I may miss a day or a time, but it's all in that program. Uh, but some events. First, a financial seminar this Friday. It's called Getting Traction with Your Money. And money can be a major source of stress or conflict in our lives. In fact, today's message, we're, we're going to dive into finding a sweet life with regard to handling our money. And so, neat timing, the way this uh, message and this event laid out in the same week, but we want to invite you to come. Um, it's geared towards helping you discover the Bible's approach to, to managing your money wisely. So that's happening this Friday. It's free. There's child care provided. And make sure you sign up on your connection card. There's a box to mark if you are interested in attending that. We'd love to know who's planning to come. Also, men, check out this image right here. That may be all I need to say is just look at that. Pizza and ping pong, October 28th. It's a Friday evening. We want to have an event for men to just hang out, to do uh, some fun things together, friendly competition. Uh, you might end up being the, the reigning champ if we continue to do this year after year. So it's it really it's just a chance to hang out uh, and get to know one another um, and uh, around a gigantic pizza. Um, so we invite you to, to consider that October 28th coming up. Also, Class 101, we have a series of classes that are geared towards helping people get more connected and get involved. And this is our Discovering Membership class. Okay, so this is a, uh, an, op- an option for people that have attended the OCC preview. Uh, that's the prerequisite to this. Uh, this is Class 101. Um, we, we want to make available the chance to commit here at OCC by becoming a member. We know that the church grows and that individuals grow by people making commitments towards membership. So you can look at the details in your program, but we want to let you know that that's coming up in a couple of weeks. And that, those, that class is held after second service um, at the church office, and we provide lunch. So there's another draw for you. Okay, small groups. We just launched small groups, I think. Most of them or all of them have already met for the first time, maybe a couple times. Um, but we want to let you know there is still time to join. If you missed joining a small group, uh, you can ask us information after service about particular groups uh, if you're interested. Or you can mark on your connection card. If there's like a night of the week that you're available, let us know on the connection card. Um, because we want to open up a group if, if we need to do that for many that need that. So, um We hope everybody has the chance and takes us up on the chance to join a small group. So that's why we promote this heavily. We really want people to to get connected that way, if at all possible. So let us know if you weren't able to to get in a group yet. 
Okay, and then for the moms, mom to mom park days are are back in full swing on Tuesday uh, mid mornings. Um, so moms get together. Uh, at a park that looks just like this, it's green and, and shaded, and there's some playgrounds. The kids have fun. The moms have fun. Again, just another uh, thing that we try to organize for people to stay connected throughout the week. So uh, you can find more details in your program. And lastly, we, uh, we've asked you last week and this week, again, to consider teaming up with us. Uh, we're a portable church, which the, the major advantage of that is it creates a lot of need, which could scare us, but it also just gives us a chance to ask for people to join in, join the team as we set up uh, this whole building on Sundays and tear it down afterwards. And it's, it's really a good way to get connected and to make this church, uh, you're just a little bit more invested. It feels like my church when you put a pin on the church share um, or fill in the blank on the task. But here's a quick video we want to show you guys to, to see how all the teams come together to, to set up for a service on Sunday. seen over and over again that people feel more connected uh, here in in the congregation, in this church, by jumping on a a ministry team. And so we want to present this to you in a way that is, don't miss out on this opportunity, because it really is a a chance for you to to serve God by jumping on a ministry team here. So there's some info in in your program. You can also uh, come to the Get Involved table after service to get information about joining a ministry team. And lastly, you can mark the volunteering box on your connection card just to receive some more information this week about that. So we're going to continue in our service. Would you please stand and I'll pray as we continue in worship. Father, we thank you for bringing us here today for the way that you've just orchestrated this morning to happen. God, I pray that as we just sang, you would receive our adoration, receive our praise as we continue to lift our voices to you. And God, would you just tune our hearts in to you this morning? 
to hear from your word. Got it to experience uh, just a taste of the sweetness that life we can have here uh, by obeying you, by really digging into your word and, and seeing what it says about our life. So we thank you, God, for the chance to be here. In Jesus' name, amen. of this world. The 
riches of this world will fade. The treasures of our God remain. And here I empty myself to all this world, nothing, and find everything in you. God, we just surrender to you this morning. We're anticipating that you have a better way for us. And so we surrender ourselves, God. Looking forward to your word this morning, to the time we're together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Good morning. It's good to see all of you here. Welcome back to OCC. Today we're wrapping up this message series. So we're finishing up this series on the sweet life. And I want to thank you for... uh, Praying for me as I was recovering from surgery about 10 days ago, or I think 9 days ago, I had a surgery to repair a torn tendon, pectoralis major tendon. wish I could say I was doing something heroic. Instead, I was just showing that I need to like grow up and act a little older. And uh, it's got hurt wrestling, so... <laughs> So, that's the honest truth there, and so, but thanks for praying for me, it's been, uh, I've appreciated that, I'm feeling uh, a little bit better today than I have in the last week, and so it's, 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 I'm very grateful. Uh, I, I was gone in uh, Orlando from Wednesday to Saturday, got back from uh, Orlando last night, hard to get home because of all the hurricane, and our flight uh, was canceled to return. And so we had to drive to Tampa to get home yesterday. And so, but we made it home last night, and I was with a, a group of pastors, and the purpose of the trip was to uh, encourage a, a network that's forming on the East Coast that, uh, that asked us to come and to uh, share some of the things that our network of churches is doing. And so... Um, the, so I took part in a conference. It was a small conference. I took part in the conference and just shared some things. And the main speaker at the conference is Pastor Harold Bullock. And he is the senior pastor of Hope Community Church in Fort Worth, Texas. And Hope Church uh, is, is unique in that among Southern Baptist churches, which were a Southern Baptist church, and newsflash, in case you're like, what? You know, you know. So hang in there for a moment if that's going to bother you. <laughs> um, Harold Bullock, Pastor Harold Bullock, he basically, um, he's kind of a, he's a prolific, what I mean by that, he's, he's a very fruitful man. His ministry, um, out of his ministry has been trained from his church, 80 church planters who launched churches around the country and the U.S. And that, that's, there, uh, I've read that it's hard to find another church who's, who's pastor trained and developed uh, that many people, and he's been doing ministry for like 38 years at that one church, and so um, it was a church that he planted years ago, and so, but yeah, he's launched out many, many, many uh, leaders who have multiplied, and so we are a granddaughter church of Hope Church, and so there are not many churches that multiply at all. I mean, church planting from within a church, raising up a person, sending them out, it is somewhat uh, it, it needs to be happening, but doesn't happen all of the time. And so, uh, so a church who multiplies and then multiplies again, it, it's, it's, uh, it's an important thing. And so they asked that we come, me and a few other pastors, so me, my mentor, and then his mentor, to just talk about kind of the generational training that, that uh, has gone on and what that can look like. And it was a really encouraging opportunity. The storm, uh, you know, Hurricane Matthew came. When we landed... Uh, 
all of us received the email that your flight has been canceled, your return flight. <laughs> so we were thinking, okay, well, we'll figure that out. And it took a few days to even get through to any airline because the fl- phones were just clogged up and rental car agencies were clogged up. And so we just trusted God with the plan. And so we went to the conference. Uh, it, still, it still went on. It was in Orlando, which is you know, not far from the coastline. It's, it's a little inland. And so they were saying that if that hurricane went you know, one degree more to the, to the west, then that could be really devastating for and it, it really has been pretty devastating especially now it's it 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 missed us for the most part so there was just high high winds they put a curfew on orlando so we were told we had to go inside like the governor and the sheriffs were all in the news saying everyone indoor curfew from 10 p.m on thursday till saturday morning at seven so we were uh, inside for the the worst part of it and um you know s- some people were not you know, as fortunate though it it did hit eventually the coastline and so caused a lot of damage. North Northern Florida, uh, Georgia, South Carolina. There's been a dozen confirmed deaths so far. Haiti had 900 people die from that hurricane. It was a hurricane like Category Four. And so I want to pray right now. I'm really grateful that that uh, to be back here with you. And uh, but let's pray for the folks that are affected. Lord, we we do lift up the many families that are grieving right now, hurting over loss, Lord. We, I, I can't fully understand how that would feel, but Lord, you do. You know. So Lord, I pray that you would bring comfort, Lord, in a very real way to families, to, to children, to spouses, to parents, to siblings, Lord, to friends. Lord, I pray that you would just uh, bring the help and the strength that's needed right now, Lord, for those that are really struggling. And God, I ask that you'd protect even still as, as there's uh, just storm conditions on the east coast lord and pray for the cleanup efforts i pray for the aid workers and government officials who are trying to help just bring to be a tool an instrument for you to really bring help to those that need it right now so lord i pray you would make a way for resources to really flow to the right places lord you'd really direct through people your resources in order to uh, meet the needs of this crisis lord ask you to guide our time right now give the help that we need the focus and the clarity that we need from your word and we ask for, just pray against distractions right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, through this series, we're, we're, we're trying to look at what does the sweet life really look like? What is, what is the sweet life? How would we really define that? It's, it's difficult to really address this subject of the sweet life without including the topic of money. And so, because so much of life is connected to what is happening in our pocketbook and what is happening in our bank account. Just, just think about this. Think about the last time that you had more money than you knew what to do with. Okay, bring that to your mind. Okay, you got it? When was the last time you had more money than you knew what to do with? You know, some, it's like, maybe someday... I'll experience that dilemma, right? That's what we're thinking, you know. Maybe someday I'll have more money than I know what to do with. Because for the most part, that's, you know, usually we're not in that position, at least in our mindset. But we're going to challenge that a little bit at this, in, later in the message. But one king, Solomon, he, he was an ext- extremely wealthy man. He made this observation, okay? And look at this verse, okay? He's observing, he's observing rich rulers and their children. And the way that they view money. Okay? So this is what he says. This is like he's saying. This would be a quote of these people that I'm watching party. Okay? Solomon says, this is what people think. They think that bread is made for laughter, wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. This is 
you know, the rulers and their princes and princesses, this is what they think, he says, that money answers everything. This isn't Solomon's statement of himself, but this is what he said. This is kind of the high-ranking people around him. This is what they say. They think money can meet all their demands. That's pretty much the pervasive message of our culture, right? That money can answer every problem in life. And if we're honest, maybe we've believed that at one point or another. We may not need... We may not think we you know, need to be filthy rich, but we sure would like to have more than we currently have, right? I, I don't need to be filthy rich. I just, I just need a little bit more than what I've currently got. I need a little more money. And with money, we try to avoid the extremes. On the one extreme, you have obsession with money. Greed. Like, pure greed. And on the other side, you have poverty and extreme need. And so we want, we think, I think as, you know, if you're a Christ follower, if you're sorting through that, you know, you're not yet a Christ follower, but you're, you know, you probably say, well, I want to be somewhere in the middle. I don't need to, I don't want to be a greedy, obsessive person, but I I also don't want to be in poverty. So I just need to be somewhere in that middle ground. You know, when it comes to extreme, here's some images, you know. Obsession over money is rampant in our culture, right? You know, tattoos of money. You know, that, that looks painful. You know, I guess it's, it's like, so as I'm going about my day, I'm brushing my teeth, I remember what, I'm, what I need to do today. I need to get more money. You know, I, what I need to live for today. I need to live for more money. Next slide shows, I think, a more painful tattoo because the back of the arm, you know. And I can tell you, the arm. I can tell you where the more sensitive spots are on my arm now. And, I mean, again, you know, maybe he... You know, he wants people behind him to know, you know, he's, he's got more money, you know. He's making a statement. The, these people are serious about money. No matter where you're coming from today, we all face some degree of what we're going to call the money mirage. Okay, the money mirage. We all face this. A mirage is an illusion without real substance, okay? You, you, you see something with your eyes, but it's not really there. It's not reality. Here's a mirage. Here's a picture of a mirage. Okay? It appears that there's water out there in the distance, right? But that's not. That's not water. That's not real. It's, it's an optical illusion. It's a mirage. It's not really there. Now, here's the money mirage. There it is. The money mirage is this. More money equals an easier and better life. If I just had a little bit more, my life would be easier. My life would be better. If we can just get a little bit more money, every problem in my life would, would be resolved. And I, there's some in, in the room that have had some deep hurts that, that no mo- amount of money is going gonna, is gonna to fix. No amount of money. Nobody could write you a check and heal the pain that you're in. The pain that you have experienced. And so when it comes to your past, money can't you know, heal the past. It can't totally fix the past. But when it comes to our future, we often have to wrestle with believing that somehow a little more money would sure help me in regards to my future. This is an illusion, though. It's not real. It, it appears that this is the truth. It seems like a little bit more, more money is the answer when, you know, unexpected bills come in or when I'm at the middle of my month and I've spent most of my money or when I look around and I see other people doing well and I think to myself, it sure would be nice to experience life like they experience. That's the money mirage. And here's the Bible's take on this whole, on this whole issue. The Bible's take, and this is at the top of your listening guide. You find this in your program. The Bible's take is this, is that money is not the magic key to the sweet life. It never will be. Money is not the magic key to the sweet life. More money, doesn't matter. This is Solomon again. Solomon, he had 
way more money than anyone in his day. But he gives this conclusion about money. Look at Ecclesiastes 5.10. This is his conclusion on money. He says this, He who loves money... Now, this description here, the word love, sometimes in the Bible, love means, I love this person because it's needed. Like, by principle, it's the right thing to do to love this person. It's a sacrificial love, or it's a, it's a love based on the other person's goals and interests. That's a certain kind of love, okay? This love in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, is a different kind of love. This is the word that, that would describe, I like, I love this, but I like this. There's affection, okay? So this is an affectionate term in the Hebrew. So he says, Whoever has an affectionate, emotional draw towards money in that way, he who loves money will not be satisfied. Meaning, that word satisfied, it's to eat or to drink to one's fill. Like, you you eat as much as you can, you're full. If you love and have an affection, just you really like money so much that you'll never be filled with that. You're never going to be having enough. You'll never fill up. You'll not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth. With his income. Your income's never going to be enough. If you love wealth, you're just, you really like it. What you make is never going to be enough. The next raise, you know, within hours, within days, you're thinking, I hope, I hope the next one goes up a little higher. This is what he says. This is just, this is part of the twist of money. He says, this is meaningless. He calls it vanity, which is, this is meaningless. Solomon is saying this, that the love of money and the love of wealth, it's an obsession that stirs us up and it never lets up. Never get a break from it. Once we're obsessed with it, we get stirred and it doesn't get satisfied. A lot of times we don't know why we seem to be so discontent in our situation. And for some, obsession or love of money is the issue. Here in America, we have laws that protect our money. When When you think about... What is America all about? What is our high-ranking values? If we were to just put them on display, money is right up there at the very tippity-top. Money. We have laws that protect our money. For example, someone robs your house. You come home. You find your house has been burglarized. You know, you can call the police. The police will show up. They'll come. They'll investigate. They'll write up a report. They may take some pictures. They may dust for prints. I don't know if they'd really do that, but you know, they, you know, they're gonna. They're. This is a crime, right? You have the law on your side if someone steals your money. Money is protected because it's, in our American culture, it has a very, very high value. But, think about this. If someone steals your wife, steals her heart, you call the police, they'll say, why are you calling? Someone stole my wife. I've married and someone stole my wife. I've been married for this many years. Someone stole my wife. This isn't right. Well, they're not going to show up at your house. Sorry, sir, there's no crime. How sad is that? Like, money in our culture apparently holds a really high value, far higher than marriage. You know, think about the things that we have laws to protect and some of the things we ought to have laws to protect and, and, and then think about burglary and robbery and... and Theft in this whole issue. I mean, it just shows where our culture is and the heart of our culture. Now, money itself isn't the bad guy. So, I'm not my goal is not to make money the bad guy. That we'd be like boycotting money because money is not the problem. Money, in fact, is pretty neutral in the scripture. It's neutral. It's not. God's not against money. Actually, He's for money used wisely. And so, money can be a tremendous tool for good. 
a tremendous tool for good. Whenever money is coming into your life, whenever you're getting more money in your life, there are larger issues at stake. And that's really what I want to look at today. Paul, I want to look primarily at Paul in 1 Timothy 6. So if you've got a Bible, you can flip there. be up on the screen. It's also in your listening guide. But Paul, in 1 Timothy uh, 6, he, he is instructing Timothy on some larger issues. Paul mentored a man named Timothy. And so this is a letter from one guy to his, you know, the guy he's mentoring. So Paul to Timothy. Timothy had, had been trained by Paul and spent time with Paul for about 15 years at this point when he received this letter. Paul would use Timothy to, to he would send him to troubleshoot problems in the, in the churches that were sprouting up, churches they were planting. And so Timothy had been a pastor or at least pastored some of the pastors in Corinth, in Thessalonica, in Philippi, and now he's serving in a place called Ephesus, okay? Modern-day Turkey. So he's serving in this area, and he is basically trying to uh, be a help, and there's a problem, okay? Here's the problem. One of the issues that Timothy was experiencing was the rise of some false teachers in the church. And so false teachers in Ephesus were just skewing people's thinking on Christ, on core doctrine, but it was also influencing people's perspective on money. Because false teachers, when they taught errors about Christ or errors about you know, the church or just errors about doctrine or Christian practice, they were motivated by pride and greed. And so Paul, he's addressing money as he brings up this whole issue of false teachers in, in Ephesus. Now, a false teacher, when someone comes along and starts teaching or preaching something in contradiction to the sound pattern that has been taught by the church, sadly what happens, and even today this happens, is they often gain a following of people. They say, well, I've never heard that before. I can actually do that and be okay with God? Yeah, you can do that. And there's twisting and there's manipulation that goes on. And so a false teacher, they gain a following. And when they gain a following, what comes their way is the resources of the people that follow them. And so these false teachers are motivated by their greed. Look at this passage. Let's look first at 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 through 5. This will help us get acquainted with the core passage we're going to look at. So Paul warns against some things. He says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. Okay? He's using a word there. Puffed up with conceit is like saying he's hot. He's full of hot air is what he's saying. Like we would say something like that. He's a conceited person. He understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels and for quarrels about words. There's this, they're babblers. They would babble with, with their words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil, he says, evil suspicions, constant friction. What this group is doing is they're pulling the church apart rather than unifying the church. And he says, among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. So these false teachers are de- depriving people of some things. And there's people that are already depraved and he's, they're twisting these things. And these false teachers themselves are depraved in their own thinking. And he says, this is a problem. Now they're imagining that godliness, he says, is a means of gain. So the, these false teachers are promoting a form of godliness that the motive behind it is gain. Financial gain in the pocket of these false teachers. And that's the context of 1 Timothy 6. And so Paul, he's trying to straighten out the damage that these false teachers were causing in in Ephesus in regards to money. Because 
they're promoting a way to gain that is off track. And so he wants to set the, set the record straight in regards to money. So let's look and walk through this uh, passage together. More money is of far less value than spiritual increase. More money is, is of far less value than spiritual increase. And we're going to look at verse 6 here. Look at verse 6. Okay? It's of far less value than spiritual increase. Verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment means I'm satisfied. All my needs, or I, I'm sufficient with, with what I have. That's what it means to be content. And godliness means like likeness to God. I'm, I'm aiming to live a life devoted to God. I'm, I'm trying to become like God in the sense of the way I live my life. So he says godliness with contentment is great is great gain. Paul's essentially saying that a life that's devoted to God and satisfied in Him brings the, the, the greatest gains in life. He's challenging what these false teachers are propagating amongst the church. He's saying, really, you want great gain in life? Godliness. Aim for godliness. Aim for contentment. That, that brings great gain. There's a richness, there's a fullness that we can experience when our spiritual life is on track. To live a godly life. When, you're, when your spiritual life is on track, there's a fullness there. When God is first place, when, when there's really nothing competing with Him for that place of, of lordship, we're full, we're satisfied. And keeping Him first oftentimes is a big challenge because this obsession for money can grab hold of us. We can obsess over more money. Now what if for one month, we took this verse you know, very seriously and thought, man, I want to grow in godliness this month. I want to grow in godliness and contentment. So imagine we were to, you know, everybody here were to hire a money manager. You just hire someone to man- manage your money for one month or three months if you really, you know, want to risk this, you know, and give them all your bills. Give them your credit cards, give them your debit card, give them your checkbook, give them the, you know, you need to trust this person. So you have to think about if this is really a good idea for you. But, <laughs> you know, hand them your paycheck, Give them your bank passwords. Uh, give them your grocery list. Give them your newspaper subscription so you don't get any ads to deals. Give them the online passwords so they can watch your stocks for you. They can see your retirement account, whether it's up or down. You know, Take a complete break, break from spending money. Take a complete break from trying to get more money. Take a mental break from, from seeing how your money is doing. What if just for one month or three months, we were devoted to godliness with contentment? And you just said, God, could you, just, could you just keep me afloat for a few months and help me have someone else take care of that? I'm going to focus on my spiritual life. I want to grow in godliness. There's a challenge from this simple verse of godliness with contentment is great gain. Wouldn't you like to experience that? I, Think about, how would I test that out? What would that look like? Here's something else to note regarding more money. More money is short-sighted. This is the next set of verses. It's short-sighted without the right plan and perspective. When we're focused on just more money, we're thinking right here and now. Look at what he says, verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of this world. Cannot, meaning we don't have the power. We don't have the ability to take anything with us out of this life. Verse 8, but if we have food and clothing with these, Paul says, we will be content. Now, you arrive, and I arrive on this planet, the same way that we depart. Job said it this way, Job 121, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. You know, you come in with nothing, you leave with nothing. 
we, we have no, no ability to take possessions, earthly possessions with us. No money. And then your favorite things are going to go with you after you leave this earth, after you exit. It's short-sighted to obsess over pursuing what is locked in time and space. That's what he's saying. This stuff is locked here. It is chained in time and space. And so all of our money, all of our possessions, and we keep this in mind. Now, therefore, verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, we will, you know, with these we will be content, he says. Now, the basic necessities, that's what those necessities are. These, the things that we really need, God provides. He provides these for us. So he's given us what we need to be satisfied. He's given us what we need to, to be fulfilled in life. The, the truth is, the more that you and I have, the more possessions, the more money we have, the more complex our lives become as we take in more stuff. Just think of all the extra demands that our stuff places on us. Every time we purchase something, now we've got to fix it. Now we've got to maintain it. Now we've got to care for it. The new, you know, like old cars didn't require the kind of maintenance that the new cars require. And, you know, new TV, well, I don't know if old TVs, and it seems like old TVs were better than new TVs, right? They lasted, it seems like, a lot longer. But everything we buy, the more we take in, now there's more to be concerned with. You know, there's more on our mind trying to protect it all. A house that requires maintaining, cars re- require repairing, toys and investments. All these things require checking up on these things that quickly can become obsessions that require time devotion. And so they're not necessarily bad, but Paul's just saying, hey, look, food and clothing, we need to learn to be content with those things. We can be content with those things. Now, Paul's not condemning possessions. He, he, what he is condemning is a self-indulgent desire for more. That's what he's saying. Because it's too short-sighted. Now, side note, Paul, he says, look, you cannot take anything with you. But he doesn't say you can't take anyone with you. And for about the past 15 years, this has struck me. That, you know, the one thing that we can do that has eternal significance is to help others come to know Jesus Christ. And so I, I can take people. We can take people with us on into eternity. I can't take my stuff. I can't take my favorite this or that. But, you know, there's some people... That, that you and I may be greeted by in heaven. You close your eyes eyes in this life and you open your eyes and you're, maybe you'll be greeted in heaven by people that you invested your life in, your resources in, your time in. Because people are eternal. They're going to live somewhere. And so when we invest our money in people who, whose lives are eternal, you know, and we're, when we're giving to advance God's eternal kingdom, we're being used in, in, a, in, a, in a long you know, view sense. Imagine what that could be like. Let's continue. More money. More money has some dangerous pathways. So beware. When more money comes in, be careful. When this desire for more money exists in us, be careful. There's some dangerous pathways. Verse 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. Okay, that's like a, a, a trap that reacts quickly to animals. It's a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. A pang is like a mental or a physical pain. Okay? People have pierced themselves with these terms. They're very descriptive terms in these verses right here. But these terms, they just paint a picture of devastation that the love of money can really destroy us. Great godly people can't withstand the strong pull and the temptation that accompanies the love of money. So we, ought to, we have to keep a close eye on this whole area. Look, look at verse 17. More money. 
can do this. It can lead to an inflated view of myself. The more I have, or the more I think I'm going to get, or the more I think I need, it, it can lead to a, a, an inflated, a proud view of self. Verse 17a says, As for the rich in this present age, now compared to the most, you know, to most of the world, everybody in this room pretty much qualifies for being rich in this present age. With the financial opportunities that God has given us as as Americans, as people with jobs, as people with training, as people with, um, you know, schooling, we have a huge responsibility and an opportunity. So Paul says to charge, you know, that group of people, which I would say we all fit in this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, he says. Now, haughty means I'm conceited and I'm looking down on other people. I've, I'm haughty. I'm, I'm looking at others and the way I live my life or what I have and what they have and I'm, I'm making comparisons. So this is the danger of, of having resources is, is a pride. He says, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. This is difficult. It's difficult not to put our hope in, in resources and riches because money's there. It's in the bank account. You can actually see how much is there. You know, the check that's coming has your name on it. It's, it's real. It's tangible. You go take that check to the bank, they'll give you that cash. But when money comes in, the temptation is to put hope and to lean on our resources, to lean on our bank account like it's this brick structure that can totally support any storm. And so we start leaning on our bank account. We start leaning on the real estate market. We start leaning on our salary or our future paycheck or our retirement account or our plans or our stocks. And we start leaning on all of those things and putting our hope and trust in those things. But as many of the older folks in this room can attest, riches are uncertain. They're uncertain. From one day to the next, the stock market could take a nosedive and all the resources you were leaning on could just be gone. From one moment to the next, you can get sick or someone in your life can be sick and the resources that you had saved up now need to be redirected to something totally different, something that was not on your radar. You know, in a moment, the real estate, or in months from now, the real estate market could collapse again as it did in 07, 08. You know, and things, you know, this, oh, I, I'm, if I put my hope in these things, I'm going to be disappointed. Because riches are uncertain. So here's a question to consider. Where, where do we turn first when unexpected expenses come our way? Where do we turn first? What's our first reflex? Is it to pray and to bring the need to God or is it to check the bank account? We got it. We got it covered. We're good. Don't worry. I know that I know that I injured myself. What's you know, don't worry, we got the money saved up. I had a plan. Who am I putting hope in? Am I putting hope in my plan or am I bringing to God every need that comes up and just, God, I, I, how am I living? Now, emergency plans are great. It's a wise you know, thing to put money away for a rainy day. They call that your emergency fund. And I, I don't know if you have an emergency fund or I don't know how well your emergency fund is going or if it's fully funded or not. Um, but... Things will break, and it's wise to save for things that will break. It's wise. You, you want to do that. But if you're counting on your emergency fund, and that's what you're leaning your life on, and you're thinking, I've, there's no way that I've got this indestructible fund. If you're counting on your emergency fund to get you through rather than hoping in God, I can almost guarantee it will not be enough. It won't be enough. 
Don't allow your emergency fund to be a substitute for, for hoping in God, for trusting in Him. Some of you are students, and you might be thinking, I, this doesn't apply to me yet. I don't have more money right now. I'm like totally broke, and I'm, I'm, you know, I know you're not eating like rice and beans because some of you are eating cafeterias and you eat better than some, you know, and, and, and you can go back for seconds and thirds and, you know, at each meal if you want to, but, but before you start making more money, you need to build convictions and choose contentment before more money comes your way. Or you're, if you don't build convictions now, before, and if you don't steward now, whatever resources God has entrusted to you, it's unlikely that you'll do that when more money comes your way. God's already entrusting something to you right now. You need to steward that well. For me, when I was a college student, it was $62.50 every two weeks was my paycheck. And I, you know, so whatever God is asking you to steward, you need to steward that well. If you don't build convictions in this area, you will spend your life chasing the mighty dollar. And it's powerful. As people try to allure you away from things with more money. Haughty people, you know, think they deserve more. More than what they currently make. More than what others make. And so, you know, some students, you'll, you'll finish and you're thinking, I'm, wait, I'm holding out for this, this job at this level of pay. You start getting job offers, and it's like, not enough. And you're like, no, nah, I deserve more than that. That's, that's haughty thinking. I deserve more than that. You know, we've had some people in, in this church who have forfeited jobs at much greater pay in order to stay connected and invested personally in what God is doing here. And through them here, and personally with other people along with our church family, there's a sense of, I'm a part of a team that's doing something. We're helping people grow and come to know Christ. And though there's a sacrifice involved, because, yeah, more money would be nice. And so, yeah, I'd like to take that job, or I'd like to take that new position, which doubles my salary. But if that draws me away from what God is doing through my life here, I'm not, I'm not willing to do that. We've had some people turn down higher positions because... You know, like to become managers, to become, to go up in the ranks in their organization. They've turned down positions because it would have prevented them from being involved in small group life in our church. And you might think, that's crazy. We've had people who gave up positions like that because they said, you know what, I've been asked to be a man, I've been asked to be a small group leader and this is, this is a commitment I made and if that means I'm not going to be able to, to fulfill this commitment and to be available for these, uh, this role, then I'm going to have to say no. They're making a values statement. That's a huge value statement to, to choose something like that. And you might think, that's crazy. What you're saying is crazy up there. You're crazy. You know, just join a bigger church. Maybe you're thinking, just tell people to join a bigger church. There's plenty of churches. There's more church, More churches have more options. You know what I mean? They, if you, you know, take the position and find a church that fits your lifestyle, fits your schedule. The problem is that that is 21st century thinking, which is me before we. That's 21st century thinking. We need to think we before me, and so many of you do. You think, what, what, what is God doing right now through us? I'm invested here. There's, there's nothing that's going to draw me away from what God is doing. Because every time someone moves, there, there's, there's relational connections and links and things like that. And I'm certainly saying, don't ever move. I'm, I want you to, th- to think critically about how powerful the draw of more money is on our lives. Because we're on a mission together, and we, and we make progress together as a team. This is not just one person. It's 
And I, I'm not saying don't advance or don't aim to better your position. By all means, grow. Advance. But if your advancement comes at the cost of you participating on the front lines of real ministry and real eternal efforts, then no amount of money would make it worth it, in my opinion. And so, whether you're a student or you're well in your career, consider the pull of money in these areas. Let, let's continue. More money may allow for new enjoyment. Things are about to shift. Okay, There's a flip side here. Let's look again at verse 17, but continue a little further. More money may allow for new enjoyment in your life. Again, the first part of verse 17 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Key. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God is not stingy. He richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Things, you know, think about the earthly possessions that we get to enjoy. Think of the skills that God gave you. The talents, the gifts, the abilities, the strength that He's given you. There, there's, you know, you don't need to feel guilty when you're enjoying what God has provided you to purchase or to, you know, to enjoy with what you've earned. You don't need to feel guilty about enjoying the life that you live. But there are certainly limits on enjoyment. But thank God, the next time you receive your paycheck, thank God, God, thank you for providing me, providing for me once again. When you sit down with your family and when you, you share a meal with your, you know, with your family or with some people, thank God He's the one that has provided so faithfully for us. It's, it's okay to make purchases. It's okay if you like good food. It's okay if you like to go on a vacation. If you like to buy a new TV. You know, you don't have to feel guilty about those things. Jot down Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 18 through 20. Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 20. You can look that up later. But check that passage out. God actually gives us permission to enjoy what money can buy. However, the next verse provides the balance to just living for pleasure and enjoyment only. So look at more money, this final point, boosts... Here's the opportunity. Here's the responsibility. More money boosts extra giving, providing help to the church and to others. When more money flows into our life, it provides an opportunity to be more generous. 1 Timothy, the next verse, verses 18 and 19, read this. Speaking still to the rich in this present age, he's still speaking to all of us. He says, here's what we're to do. They are to do good, Timothy. Tell them, they're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. He's talking about eternity. He's not talking about... He's saying, tell them to use all their resources for good, Invested in the future, invested in eternity, invested in people, invested in what will make a difference for things that are, that are eternal. Sometimes extra giving comes in at just the right time for our church. Whether it's to help us seize an opportunity that God has you know, put before us, or for just a clear need. Something broke and we need to fix it, and it costs $5,000. And sometimes, we've been at a point as a church where we've run very close to the red. When we were first starting this church, we were constantly running in the red. It was That was just our first several years. We were constantly in the red, but God kept us afloat. He had a way to provide. And as you know, as we've grown, as people have learned to give and grown in giving, God just continues to provide. But still, there are these points where, as a church, we're in the red because this is different than a business. A business takes in money, saves it up, shares it with stakeholders. You know, they're making profit as for profit. A church is very different. And so, money comes in and it goes out to move the ministry forward, to keep us on mission. 
we don't stockpile in order to just build a nest egg. It comes in and it provides for us to do ministry, to do more ministry. So we pay bills. We pay facilities bill on this, on this lease or this, you know, rental that we have in this space. We pay for an office space and a warehouse that allows us to do training events. We pay nine staff members who are on our payroll, four of which are full-time staff members. You know, we give monthly to missions. There's operational costs to do what we do on Sundays and midweek. We support missionaries. There's just, there's, there's things that are in our budget and our monthly outgo, like what goes out of our church, is pretty static on a monthly basis. It's pretty static. It doesn't fluctuate too much because we're committed on contracts to pay a bill, you know, things like that. But what comes in can vary. Uh, from month to month. And so, it makes it quite exciting to be in this role. When we run close to the red, I call that code orange, because we're Orange Crest Community Church, so I call it code orange. And what that means for our staff is that they just know, hey, we need to run very lean until we get through this season. And we pray, and we, we pray that God would meet the needs that exist. And there have been many times when we've been in code orange, and someone will give just extra beyond what they typically give. And I'll get a phone call from our financial person saying, hey, resources came in to pay the bills that are needed right now. And sometimes what it is is people are giving off the sale of a house. People are giving off the the profits in their business, the bonus that they received. Or people just sense that there's a need and they give beyond their normal uh, regular giving. And And when that happens, we just thank God. And we know God takes care of us through his people. You know, this is, this is a church family we work. The ministry moves forward as, as we work together in this. And so when the extra resources come into your life, sometimes it's clear that God is saying to you, I'm funneling some more resources your way to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be ready to share. Sometimes it's a family in need in our church. Sometimes it's a family in need in your life. And God says, hey, I'm funneling some resources to you. This is not all for you. It's okay for you to enjoy some of it, but this is not all for you. Don't think me before we. What's God wanting to do with our resources? And so it is true that generosity is one of the keys to sweetness in life. Living with an open hand, this is one of the keys to sweetness in life. Verse 19, again he says, So that they put their hope in God so that, why? So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now this seems upside down, but it's so true. Handling money is a spiritual issue. It doesn't seem like it is, but handling money, there's a spiritual connection between our money and our hearts. And when money has your heart, it jerks your chain all day long. It has great control. And when God has your heart and Jesus is boss of your life, then what we end up doing is we end up opening up our hands with the resources that God has entrusted to us and we offer it back to Him to use it for purposes that extend beyond just us. And Jim Elliott, and we'll close with this, Jim Elliott was one of five missionaries who gave up his life to reach a group of uh, unreached people, you know, in the jungles of Ecuador. And he was reaching them with the gospel message. And throughout his life, he kept a journal, kind of noting some of the, his thoughts on God, his thoughts on sacrifice, his thoughts on obedience. Here's a quote from his journal. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he and these five men, Jim Elliot was only 28 years old when he died, but he lived an open-handed life. They, they were reaching into the jungle, they were flying an airplane in 
and trying to make contact with a group um, in Ecuador. And they, they landed, they made contact, they left gifts, uh, they, they received gifts, and they thought, okay, we're, we're, I think we're getting across. It was going to be a journey of how to learn a language, and they're beginning to do that process. And at one point, they land, and they're ambushed by the tribe who thinks that they're there to harm them. And they're all killed, all five. They're all killed. Their wives are left back at home base with their kids. At 28, 28 years old. But our time, our money, our very lives belong to God. And if He is Lord, then what this really means is we surrender our lives to Him. We say, God, I'm yours. Use me. My whole life is yours. Use me. And may we be a group of people who God looks upon and declares that we took hold of that which is truly life. Like verse 19 says. It would be amazing that God would see us being people who took hold of the, the real life, the sweet life. That's the, that's the sweetest. I want to I wanna wrap things up with just drawing your attention to some of these next steps. I encourage you to maybe commit to memory 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, which is a great verse to memorize in regards to the position that we have in life and how we are rich in this present world and the resources and that God has entrusted to us to you know, charge us not to be haughty, not to put hope in the uncertainty of riches, but to, but to hope in God. Okay, that, we, that we would continue to remember that. So we'd remember the link to money and, and our spiritual life. And second would be to come next week to the launch of, of Hometowns, which is our next uh, message series. And our associate pastor, one of our associate pastors, Bruce Wood, who leads our student ministry now, he is going to be launching this series next week. And it's a, it's a series on um, community and why we do church uh, life to life, why we want to be relational, how important that really is. And so I, I want to invite you to come back for that and for the launch of that. We'll have some donuts as we kick that off next week. And then also attend the Getting Traction with Money seminar this Friday night. If this has stirred you in any way where you think, you know, I want to do a little bit more work on money in this subject of money and understanding biblical stewardship, then would you come out on Friday night um, to this event. A good friend of mine from Church in the Valley, along with Taylor Neese, one of the men in our congregation, are going to be leading this seminar. And I, I, I know you'll, you'll gain from coming and learning about stewardship more and more. So check on your connection card if you plan to attend. It would be helpful for us to know that, uh, that you are, and we'll plan for that. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. We just are grateful, Lord, to be able to to worship and to sing praises to you, to be challenged by you, Lord. Thank you for speaking, God, in the ways that you have today. I ask, God, that in, in specific just points of application, Lord, you would drill this deeper into us, Lord. Challenge us, Lord, for the perspective shifts, the value shifts, the changes that you desire to be made in our lives in this area, God. Would we be uh, people that you do look upon who has taken hold of, of the fullest, the sweetest life as you define it. Bless this group. Protect us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.